Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up. We're going to look at, we'll go through a lot of verses, but we're going to start off in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Romans 8, 29. I, I know you have a guide. It's not on there. <laughs> Romans 8, 29. Now, we all know 8, 28. We like to quote that all the time. But the end of verse 28 says, to them who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29 then says, for whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Father, we ask this evening as we look at your word that you help us, you guide us, that every word, every thought that takes place now, that you would control. As we study what it means to be conformed to the image of your son, We ask that you would put a hedge around us, bind anything that would hinder us from receiving your truth, that we might not just hear your principles and your truth here, but that we would apply them to our hearts and lives. We ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen. So we're going to talk tonight about being the image of Christ. What does it mean that God, uh, he says he wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ? Well, it means he wants us to be like him. But in order to understand what it means to be like Christ, I think first we need to understand two other points. The first is, who did we used to be? Who was I? Well, I used to be a sinner. Used to be the enemy of God. Used to be following my own desires. Same with you. Before we were saved, we were individuals. I master of my own destiny. I control what I do. I decide what I like. I decide how I spend my money and my time. And it was usually all about me. And if you come to the, uh, and I guess we don't call them Sunday school classes, uh, what are groups, connection groups. In my connection group, we talk about it all the time. One of the principles is, Who is leading your life? Who's your guide? We can either be guided and controlled by our emotions and our desires, or we can be led and guided by God and his word. You can't do both. Before I was saved, it was all about me. I was full of sin. I was the enemy of God. I was despicable. I was deprived, just like everyone else here. Except Brother Bob. He's always been practically perfect. But then once we get saved, we are a new creature. And if you'll look at the handout that was provided for you, you'll see we're going to go, I know it's a long list, we're not going to go in detail over every single one of them, but we're going to go over it. There are 17 items that are listed here. There are many more. I would challenge you to study the Bible and identify, collect a list of verses that say who you are in Christ. And it's important that we understand who we are because if we don't understand who we are, 
then we can easily be deceived. When you don't know who you are, when you're not grounded in what you believe and who you are, you can be manipulated. You can be controlled. You follow after from one whim to the next. Or like James will say, we become like a boat tossed to and fro by the wind on the sea. Wherever it leads, that's where we go. So first we find, number one, that we're at peace with God. When I got saved, when I came to know Christ as my Savior, I was no longer his enemy. I was no longer at war with God and his leadership in my life. I now became at peace with God. As it says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. It's important for us to understand that. God's not out to get you. I was a chaplain for six years for three different hospices. I dealt with hundreds of patients that were dying. Not just was dying, they knew they were dying within six months. One of the questions that we had to work through with each of these patients, I had to work through with them, is why do you think this has taken place? And many of a patient, many individuals believed well, it's because God was upset because I was a sinner, so he's punishing me. Perhaps. Remember one gentleman? He smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. Got lung cancer. And he says, I think God's punishing me because I don't go to church. That's what he said. He said, why do you think this happened to you? Because I, I don't go to church like I should boast to. I know I should go to church. I haven't been going to church, so that's why I have lung cancer. I had to ask him, you sure it doesn't have anything to do with smoking two packs a day? But even you and I, we can feel that way sometimes, that things that are happening to me is because I've upset God and he's out to get me. We have peace with God. We're his children, as we're going to see. And the next one is that we're reconciled with God. Not only is there a peace, but we're reconciled with God. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved. We are reconciled with God. All the things that we did in the past, everything that was causing us to be, those are gone. As far as God's concerned. We now have a relationship with him again. There are consequences for the sins that we do. You smoke two packs a day, you'll probably get lung cancer. You walk up someone that's pretty big and you smack him in the face with your fist, you might get hit back. Or though this is Long Beach, you might get shot. <laughs> Remember uh, Megan when she went to Hiles Anderson? One of the things there, she got there, of course, that's in the Midwest, so most of the students that are there are from the Midwest. And this girl was talking to Megan because her sister was a roommate. Megan's a freshman. And her oldest sister was a senior. And the oldest sister was saying, Megan, you should be on our bus route. We, we, the bus route goes into Chicago. We, we go to the side where there's, there's more minorities. So just stay with me when we walk around and that, you know, you won't have to be concerned. She goes, what are you talking about? She goes, well, you know, there's people there that don't look like us. She goes, what do you mean? So they find out, well, there's a lot of blacks and Spanish there. And she goes, so? She goes, well, you, you might be uncomfortable. She goes, I live in Long Beach. 
She goes, I'm the minority. My graduating class, there was only two of us that were white. Yeah. So it's about perspective sometimes. If we're not careful, we forget that one, we have peace with God. Two, we've been reconciled. He's not looking at you as you're somebody strange. You are part of him. You've been reconciled. He's forgiven you for everything. And we need to remember this because sometimes our own thought life is what does us in. Oh, you know, God's going to get me. Oh, I'm not sure if, if, you know, I know God has peace, but maybe he won't let me come to. Maybe he doesn't answer my prayers. You've been reconciled. He answers them. We're free from the condemnation. Because we have the peace, because we have reconciliation, we're free from condemnation. Hopefully I'm saying the word right. There is, therefore, now no condemnation in them which are Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. God's not here beating you every day. It's not like the monks in the Middle, uh, the middle Ages that thought, I've got to get me this little whip and hit myself every day so God will be pleased. That's not what God wants. We have peace. We're reconciled. We're free from condemnation. He is a judgment. The difference, try and put it in perspective. If somebody that I don't know goes to my house and they spray paint the outside of my house and say, go up, old bald one, go up. I know I keep looking at you, Brother Fletcher. Are you planning to do that? What do I do? I call the police, right? If the police find the guy, what happens? In California, nothing. We let him go. If you live in other parts of the country, they go to jail. They go to trial. They get found guilty, and then they have to pay the price, whatever that might be. But let's change that around. What if it's my son? What if I come home and Noah has sprayed that on the wall? I still call the police. He deserves it. No. Because he's family, I don't call the police. I take care of it. Right? I chastise him, to use a Bible word. I discipline him. I correct him. I don't turn him over to the law. When you and I got saved, we're no longer under the law. We now belong to the Father and he is our father. He's adopted us, so he corrects us. Okay. And I think that's a, a, a place where people miss sometimes, especially some denominations. Oh, I'm not under the law, so I can do whatever I want. No, those are still principles that are up here. It's just now, I don't have to fear the punishment of the law, which was hell. Instead, I've got to fear what my father's going to do. And I don't know about you, but growing up, I was less afraid of my father or my mother. I'm sorry, turn around. I was less afraid of what the police would do to me than I was of my father or my mother. And really, I was more afraid of what my grandmother would do. I lived her for several years. My, my grandmother was no joke. Today and that, everything she did would be illegal. All the neighbors in our, our neighborhood would probably be in trouble. I could be doing something two blocks away and by the time I got home, my grandmother would stand there asking me about it. 
because one of the ladies down the street saw me. She called my grandma. Uh, do you know what your grandson's doing? You couldn't get away with anything. I learned to obey my grandmother because I was allergic to pain. Did you guys ever learn stuff like that? One time I didn't obey and she was, uh, we had these lilac bushes. They were eight foot tall that were a boundary for the property. She sit there and she goes, go out to that lilac bush and bring in a switch. I was real smart. Okay. I came back one about that big. There you go. She's looking at me. She got up. You're smart. She went out there and got one like this long. <laughs> then she made me stand there and peel all the little leaves off. Then bend over. I learned right there, you know what? I don't want to do this again. My brothers weren't so smart. They kept getting in trouble over and over. We no longer had a condom. I was less afraid of what a cop might say. My friends sometimes would want us to do something. I, I wasn't concerned with what the cop might do. I was concerned my grandmother found out. You and I, we live today not afraid of what the law might do, but afraid of what our father might do. And the biggest, biggest thing that ever affected me is one time I went, I went to start smoking cigarettes. I had all these friends, I was working this thing, and they had cigarettes, so I was going to try one, be cool. Was my uncle got in the car with me, my two friends that were from this group. We start driving. My friend said, hey, George, you want a cigarette? My uncle looked at me and says, you smoke? And I took it and said, yeah, it's cool. My uncle smoked. I said, just like you. Because didn't you promise, or didn't you tell me one time you would never smoke? I said, yeah, I said that, changed my mind. He sat for a minute, and he looked and says, I'm really disappointed in you that you couldn't keep your word. I never touched cigarettes again. God wants you and me to obey his commandments, not because we're afraid of the law, but because of our relationship with him, we don't want to stand before him one day and say, I'm really disappointed the way you lived your life. I'm really disappointed in what you did for me in the time I gave you on earth. Come on in. This is your home. We still get into heaven. I just don't want to disappoint him. Do you? We have a fellowship with God. God is faithful by whom ye were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We have a fellowship with God. That means we can commune with God. We can commune with Christ. We're not on the outside looking in. We're on the inside. We often overlook what fellowship means. We think it means eating food. That's because we're Baptists and that's how we do fellowship. But fellowship is really what every human being wants. We would call it more oftentimes connection. I want to connect with somebody. For those who are married, how, how did you meet your wife or your husband? Why did you spend any time with them? Because there was a connection. 
Unless you're older and that, and it was, no, my mom and dad made me. But we want those connections. We want someone to share our dreams with, our hopes with. Someone to share the pains with. Someone I can confide in. Someone that I, I can share what went on today at work. For the hopes and desires of that type of thing. That's the fellowship we now have with Christ. We have with God. We can talk to him. That's why he tells us, pray without ceasing. I don't know how to pray without ceasing. Uh, you do it all day long. Look at the food I just ate. Oh, look, I just saw a monkey. Oh, look. That's what God's wanting. As we're going through the day when stuff's happening, that we're taking it to God. Lord, that was crazy. Why did I say that? Lord, help me. There's so many people here with hair. You know, you, you pray every day. Have that fellowship. He's given us the fellowship. The problem is on our side. It's kind of like someone going around every day, like Mikey going, uh, hey, you want to go do something? Oh, I'm kind of busy. Hey, uh, there's, this, there's this, this coffee at Starbucks. You want to go try it? Uh, I'm kind of busy. Hey, there's a... And constantly asking, and nobody wants to go out with Mikey. I'm sure it's not the long hair, Mikey. But that's the way we treat God. He's constantly wanting to fellowship with us. The problem isn't he's not available or willing. It's that we're not willing. Because we'd rather fellowship with Instagram. I'd rather fellowship with the Olympics. I'd rather fellowship with the Lake. No, I can't say that. That's a bad word. Lakers. But we're also totally clean. So sometimes the reason we don't do fellowship is because we think, well, you know, I messed up today. I messed, I sinned. Yeah, you did. But like it says there in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and such were some of you. Now, we didn't, I didn't put the verse here. If you go back, it's a whole list of things. Such were some of you, but ye are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. We are totally cleansed. Completely. Nothing can stick on you. There is no sin, nothing that you're going to do that's going to keep you out of heaven if you've accepted Christ truly. Because you didn't earn the salvation, Christ did. And the only way our salvation fails is if Christ fails. And that's not happening. Now, to kind of give an idea what this means is we're totally clean. So imagine you took a shower... Or a bath, you get all nice, not bath, because you still got that dirty water you're in. I don't know why people take baths. You take a shower, you're nice and clean, you get out, you get dressed. This has happened to me. I can have all my suit, except my tie on and that, and no boots, no socks. And I start walking the floor. And I get down to go sit down to put my socks on. I lift up my foot, and guess what I have on my foot? A Lakers tattoo. No, that's not. Almost the same. I have dust. I got some dirt. How did I get that on there? Do I need to take another shower? 
Now, only if you're OCD. Then you need to take another shower. No. We just wipe it off. You cleanse it. We are saved in Christ. We've been washed. We've been clean. Stuff that we do now, that's why we have 1 John 1, 9, if we confess, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us and cleanse us. It means wipes off that feet. We are a new creation. A new creation. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We are new in Christ. We are no longer who I was, a savior, deprived, living after my own desires and wants. I'm now a new creature who wants to live after God, to follow him and his word, to allow him to guide and lead me. Now, you notice it didn't say we do it perfectly. It says you are a new creature. And where we started off back in Romans, chapter 8, verse 29, is Christ it wants us to be what? Conformed to the image of Christ. As this new creature, if you can think of yourself like you're a new lump of clay. Anybody here ever do pottery? A few people. When I was growing up in Colorado, it was a required course in our school. It was my sixth grade, sixth or seventh grade. You had to take art. So we had to learn how to draw. We had to do, make pots and stuff. I made a cup. It was a great mug, if you didn't mind it tilting and being kind of twisted. But you take clay. We were an old creature. We were made here. And the cup looked terrible. When we got saved, because God is the creator, he was able to take that old cup, make it into flesh, fresh, not flesh, fresh clay. That now he is molding and working so that it looks more like a perfect Christ. We are new creatures. That means we're a new lump that can be molded and can be changed. I'm not set and hard in my ways. I'm now flexible and able to be molded by Christ. That's what it means to be a new creature. Not that you're perfect. Because sometimes if you ever worked with clay, sometimes you get it just right and there's a slip. Now you got to go back and fix it. But it's still fixable as long as the clay is moist. If you let it get too dry, it becomes bone dry. Sometimes you can take something that's almost bone dry and you put some water in it. But once it gets past a certain part, you can't ever recover it. That's why we're told not to harden our hearts. The Holy Spirit is trying to mold us from the inside, trying to change us. Let him. So we're new creatures. My screen went dark. <laughs> we also, since we are new creatures, we now have the righteousness of God. How many here knew you were righteous? Anybody knew you were? If you're saved, you are. Not by yourself, but through Christ. Let's read the verse. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the, what's the word? Righteousness of God in him. It's not my righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness. Pastor Wilkerson liked to use the example of having two books. One, The Life and Times of George Johnson. 
the other, the life and times of Jesus Christ. And he takes the covers off, because if you open up mine, it's just full of all kinds of gunk. And he puts it over Christ's. So now when you open it up, all you see is the perfection of Christ. That's what this means. We have the righteousness of Christ in us. Not because we earned it or deserve it, but because Christ gave it to us. Don't get confused with that. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. That doesn't mean I behave righteously or act righteously. We're also the heirs of God. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a servant, then an heir of God through Christ. The example I use of painting my house, that's kind of the difference between a servant and a son. What a servant does and what a son does gets treated differently. What a common person I don't know does something and what my son does, how I react to it is different. You and I are no longer outside. We're now family. We are the adopted children of God. And we are joint heirs with him. Which means everything that God is going to give, we get to share in it for eternity. These are important because as we go through life and we start thinking, well, I don't have this, I don't have that, oh, it's not going my way. Yeah, but I'm an heir. For eternity, I'm inheriting all the great riches God the Father has. He's sharing them with me. We get too focused sometimes on the here and we forget there's an eternity that's waiting for us. And it can cloud our decisions on how we decide to invest our time, invest our money, and invest our talents. Because I'm so busy trying to accomplish something here that won't even last. I've been chosen by God. It's not like I was forced on him. It's not like he opened the door, oh, I got George. I guess you got to stay here now. We are chosen. You were chosen by God. He has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God chose you before the world was ever created. He chose you to be his child. He chose you to inherit all that he has. He chose you to receive his love. For some people, they, sometimes they can't treat the relationship with Christ like being chosen for a basketball game. Let's see, I'll take the white, I'll take, oh, maybe not. Uh, let me go over here. Was that ever you? Were you like the last one? Poor Art. He's the only one honest. I was the last one chosen one time. Only once. And I was never last after that. And it wasn't because I have great talent. It's because I learned, huh, the guy picking gets to decide. So whenever it was, I'll choose. <laughs> so with my brothers, my cousins, our neighbors, when they were all there and that, whenever we're going to play a game, yeah, I'll pick one side. 
That way I was never last again. We don't have to worry about that. God chose you. And understand the importance of that. Jesus decided to come and to die in our place. But the fact that he chose you means he would have been willing to do that if you were the only person alive on this world. He still would have come. He still would have suffered. He still would have died on that cross to save you because he chose you. You're that important to him. We need to remember how important I am that I'm his first choice. We're redeemed in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. We have been redeemed. All of our sins gone. We now belong to him. We have boldness and access in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. You and I can go to the throne of God and we can give him our petitions. Not only can we go there to make requests, we can go there just to talk. If you and I today want to go talk to President Biden, they probably wouldn't let us in. I don't know what their COVID routine is now. Before that, in order to get into the White House, we had to send in a list beforehand. It had to have uh, clearance checks and all this. We had to be vetted. And then they had a certain time for us to be, we're allowed to go inside. We don't have to go through any of that. You and I are the child of God. He chose us. We have peace. We're reconciled. We can go to God anytime we want and say, Father, and he listens. He listens. Not like we do sometimes. Yeah, you can call me anytime you want. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. What? Yeah. No. We can go to God anytime and he gives us full attention. So we have the boldness. We have that access. But do we use it? Are you using your access to God? Yeah, I've been asking for a million dollars and I haven't got it. Well, maybe we need to go back to that fellowship part. As we spend more time in God's word, more time in prayer, more time in that fellowship, we'll start understanding God better. Our relationship will be stronger. We'll know what his will is, what his desire, how he's leading us, how he's guiding us then we'll know how to pray. We are holy and blameless. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. You ever wonder about your assurance? We're holy and blameless. He has made us in such a way that we're not blamable. We can't be reproved. In his sight, we are perfect. I know that's number 16, but we'll get to it. That's my favorite one. I try to give it to my wife every week, make sure she understands. I'm perfect. In Christ. But we're complete. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in only one person knows. 
Let's try again. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. There we go. We're complete. I don't need anything else. The completeness here is important because oftentimes we wander around and we feel like there's something missing. Man, I don't know what it is. I just, I thought I would achieve more. I thought I would have done, uh, I thought I should be better. I thought I would have more money. I thought I'd have more hair. Whatever it is. But we have this feeling that something's missing, that I'm not complete. But the truth is, we are complete in Christ. But sometimes our eyes are not looking and we're not identifying, I am complete in Christ. He made me exactly the way he wanted me to be. Now, don't use that for justification to go sin. But he's made us. Are you tall? He designed you that way. You're short? He designed you that way. Are you always thin and you can eat as much as you want? God made you that way and we hate you. (laughs) Whatever we are, we need to accept we are complete. God does not make mistakes. We are complete in him. We get too focused on this exterior and how we interface with the world and forget this is not our home. He has made us complete so that when we go to heaven with him, we will be there for eternity in a perfect body. And it will be a shock for many people because you're going to have no hair. Uh, it must be true because it says everything shines up there. So. We are totally forgiven. I put that in again because at this point when we don't think we're complete, often we think, well, you know, I, I, I always had a problem with this sin. Yeah, you may still struggle with some temptations. We all have things that, are, uh, that we used to call begetting sins. I mean, it's something that always trips you up. It's the easy one. And it's not usually the same for everybody. But when Christ forgave us, we're forgiven completely. He has changed us. He made us a new creature. We're totally forgiven. That doesn't mean my old habits went away. I remember years ago in the 80s and that, there was some preaching going on. If you, if you have a drug addiction, just accept Christ, it goes away. That's not true. If you smoke every day, just, just accept Christ and your desire for smoking will go away. It might happen, but that's, that's not really true. Because there's a physical addiction to that. There's a consequence to you always taking drugs. You know, it's like me uh, being an alcoholic and drinking gallons of booze every day for 20 years, get saved and say, "Uh, I shouldn't have a bad liver anymore. No, you abused it. (laughs) We are forgiven of the sin, but we're not, that doesn't mean that there's no consequences to the sin. If you've been drinking uh, for 30, 40 years, getting drunk every day, and you've destroyed your liver and you get saved, you still have to pay for the consequences of your choice. And that's something in our society today, we don't like to be responsible for our choices. We always want to blame somebody else. Well, you know, it's really not me. It was Brother Miller. 
well, Brother Miller, have you drinking? Well, you know, he didn't shake my hand the other day, so I got real depressed, so I had to have a drink. No, you chose to have the drink. I don't want to get too far down it. We're totally forgiven. <laughs> Number 15, we're hidden with Christ in God. You are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. We are dead to this world. We are now hidden in God. That means our life, the life that we're going to have, that's secure with God. I know we're using the word hidden and life and death. Think of it more like this. Um, if I had your 401k, your retirement fund, and I'm going to pick on Brother Bob again. If it's Brother Bob's 401k, does he have the money physically on him? It's in some bank or someplace, right? Does he give that information out to everybody? Here's my account number, here's the password. No. It's hidden in a bank. But who's it for? For Bob. And if he has a declaration of who should inherit it, to Judy when she gets upset with him. Here, eat this. It's safe. <laughs> so our life is hid in God. What, what this verse is talking about is that our salvation is secure. The life, we are dead to sins. We're dead to our own life. We're dead to where we were headed. Our life, our future is in God. Who can take it? No one. My favorite one, number 16. We are perfect forever. For, uh, for by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. See, told you I was perfect. We're not perfect in this world. My perfection is going to be in heaven when I get there. We're not perfect today. Our perfection is in heaven when we get there. When this world's over and we're transformed, we'll have a perfect body. We'll be at perfect peace. We'll be in perfect fellowship with God. Everything will be perfect. God's already arranged it. It's a done deal. That's why we can say, I, I have perfection forever. I'm not perfect now, but God has already made plans for me. I will be perfect. Given all things, according as his divine power has given unto us things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him, he has called us to glory and virtue. God has given to us all things. That doesn't mean we receive everything. But everything that he has purposed for us, he provides to us. All good gifts comes from the Father of lights. Everything. So understanding who I am... That will help me to know that I have the ability now to be molded into the image of Christ. And as we think about how do we get into the image of Christ, we can look at some of the characteristics. We talk about five of them all the time. You know, oh, he made himself of no reputation. He wasn't bragging. Uh, he took on him a form of a servant. He made himself the likeness of men. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death. We, we talk about these five all the time. 
But I believe if we really look at Christ, we need to look, especially if I'm trying to be like him, how did he behave with others? When there were sinners that were there, did he talk about their sin? I know why that person here, I know what they were doing last night. When a woman that committed adultery caught in the act, and they throw her in front of him, and they want to stone her, what did he do? Yell at her? I can't believe you would do something like that. No, he just bent down and started writing in the sand. So let whoever's without sin cast the first stone. See, we look at that, but we forget. He said, whoever's without sin, you cast the stone. You and I need to be remembering that, how we deal with one another. Because we're very quick to throw stones at our brothers and sisters. You know what? Johnny didn't give a good tithe last week. He's a terrible guy. And we start trying to say stuff. Well, you know what that person, they, they wear their dress too short. That guy has his hair too long. Oh, look at them over there, you know. They got a tattoo. Whatever it might be, we, we start picking up things and we start casting stones. Oh, how can you be a good Christian if you have that? How can you be a Christian if you did that? And there is time for some correction, but how we do it is important. How did Christ deal with you with your sin? Look at how long-suffering and patient Jesus is with you. You know, I don't know everything you've done. You know what you did. You know what you did today. You know how, what you were thinking last week. You know what you spent your time with. You know where you spent your money. And yet when it comes to us, Christ is long-suffering uh, long and patient with us. He's loving. He wants us to ask for forgiveness. He wants to convict us. Come back to the Lord. Come back to me. But oftentimes, you and I, we're not that way with others. You messed up, brother. Get out. That's the way we treat people. Oh, you did that? Gone. No, we're not, we're not talking to you anymore. If you read our bylaws, we have a whole section on, on how to reconcile with those who are going uh, um, stray from the word of God. There's a whole discipline chapter. But the discipline isn't just how we remove somebody. It's how we can work to try to reconcile them back. Why? Because that's what Christ wants us to do. That's how he behaves. He was loving towards people. He was loving to you and me. Who would go and die on the cross just for anybody? Not me. I volunteer art. But Jesus did. Knowing who you were, knowing who I am, knowing how we would act, knowing the things that we would do, the thoughts that we would have, how we treat other people, how we're condescending. Oh, and I went, don't let them near us. Look at the way they're dressed. That's not Christ. The Pharisees are more like us. Look at this Jesus hanging out with the publicans and the sinners. 
we don't like that, but we're more like the Pharisees. Look at them. Look who they're hanging around. Unless we think that we're above that. When we hear things like that, immediately we get defensive in our heart. Well, you don't understand. I don't need to. Talk to Christ. You're not conforming to my image. You're conforming to Christ's image. And I know that it's gotten kind of a bad rep over the years, but it's really true. We need to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? And not just what, how. How would Jesus deal with this? How would Jesus talk to this individual? Oh, they're going through trouble? How would Jesus do this? I, I'm upset about something. Would Jesus talk to my friends? Would he go just, you know, talk to them? I can't believe this. Or would he do something about it? We need to start looking at our life and how we connect and engage with others around us as if Christ was living in us. Oh, wait. That's what we're supposed to be, right, Christians? For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now the life I live in the flesh, I live by what? By faith. It's by Christ. I'm supposed to be living for him, not for myself. But we can get trapped and start thinking, well, I, I need to be the big guy. You need to praise me. You need to recognize what I've done. You don't know how much I do around here. Jesus didn't go around bragging about what he had done. He didn't go around pointing out everybody's faults. Even with the scribes and the Pharisees, when he was engaged with them, he didn't point out and say, well, you're just evil. You, these guys here, they're all bad. Whenever he engaged with them and pointed out something, it's when they came. Even during the last week, when they come, he announces seven wolves on them. But it's because they came and they attack, and they're trying to be judgmental, trying to be superior. And Christ answered, woe unto you. Woe unto you. It was a warning. It wasn't being condescending. If anyone could be condescending who had the right to be, it would be Jesus. He was perfect. He was God. He made us. And yet, he took on our form in humbleness, and he worked with us, he lived with us, he engaged with us in humility, never acting like he was superior. Just read the story, uh, uh, I mean, the Gospels, and that, as they deal with the disciples, as he deals with the disciples. Look at the stuff he goes through with them. He gets disappointed and says, have I been with you so long and you still haven't learned anything? And then he explains it. Are we kind like that with others? Are we long-suffering? He doesn't tell them, look, you idiots. I've told you at least a dozen times, I'm going to Jerusalem to be crucified to die in your place, I'll be buried for three days, and I'll come back. Can you get it through your thick skulls by now? He just kept telling them again and again and again. And even after he was crucified, and they scattered, 
And they hide. And he resurrects. He shows compassion and love towards them. He shows a tenderness. He appears onto them. Go tell Peter to come. Thomas, you said you don't believe you can touch the nails in my hand? Go ahead. Do we have that type of compassion and kindness towards others around us when they make mistakes? When they're doing things that we don't think is right? Maybe just regular conflicts that we're having? Or are we always looking and finding the fault in others? Jesus looked at you and me not looking for the fault, but looking for who we could be. Jesus came not to say, oh, you are so bad. Jesus came and said, you're so loved, and you can be so perfect. When you and I look at others, and we're dealing with family, friends, with people we don't even know, do we look at them and just say, you're so awful? Do we just look and judge? Or can we see the future like Christ could see for them? You can be perfect in Christ. You are forgiven. We can go through that whole list of 17. Do we look at people and see that? That's who you could be. Or do we just look at who they are? If Christ had done that to you and me, who I was, and said, there's nothing about you that's worthy to be in heaven. There's nothing about you to be worthy to be my friend. Worthy to be my brother. There's none about you that's worthy to be adopted by the Father. And he'd been right. But when he looked at us, that's not what he saw. You can be saved. You're loved. You can be perfect in me. You can have righteousness in me. You can have reconciliation in me. You can have, and we go down a whole list. That's how Christ looked at us. You and I are supposed to be Christians. It means to be like Christ. We should be looking at those around us the same way. It's not in me. It's that you can be forgiven in Christ. You can be righteous in Christ. You can be perfect in Christ. You can be whole in Christ. We need to learn to look at people the way Christ looks at people. What they can be in Him.